0: coaching inside the box a youth soccer coaching podcast a brit a brazilian and an american discuss culture and environment and the impact it has on youth development can you coach inside the box Hello, welcome to Coaching Inside the Box, episode one. It has been quite a bit of time since we last recorded, um, and the world has literally changed entirely since the last recording. Andy, how are you?
1: Uh, I'm doing uh, about as well as can be expected under the current circumstances. The, the best laid plans, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've, we should have done this you know, six, seven weeks ago, but... Uh, Since then, we've been in lockdown and uh, we're just getting back, you know, to getting some freedom again to, to do this type of thing. So I'm pretty excited about getting moving. Yeah, I'll
0: be honest, Andy, um, having known you as long as I have, I think in all the seasons of life, this is my favorite season that I know you because it's six feet apart. And I I feel like that's (laughs) just the right
1: distance. It's not enough, Andrew. (laughs) Philippe,
0: how are you? You've been experiencing coronavirus here in the United States, in Kansas City, but also through friends and family back home in Brazil.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's a weird moment of the world. Um, A lot of people suffering and you see all the time in the news and that's sad. But thank, thankfully, we've been blessed to have everything we need, and here we are again.
0: Yeah, and really, honestly, guys, the, the, the topic of conversation, what we're wanting to share today... Um, is is really some in some ways a a result of coronavirus, right? Um, immediately when we recognized that a lock on, lockdown was going to go into place, we as a as a coaching team, right, we all coach in the same club in Kansas City. Um, immediately went to work on creating something that was of value for our kids, um, not just something to keep them busy, not just something to ensure that that they were doing something, but something that, of deep deep value. Um, and 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 what we created what we call maestro in the maestro series is what we're going to talk about today. And uh, um, I think Andy mentioned in one of our meetings, and I'm not even sure, it's some French philosopher that says it, said it, but in the midst of winter, I found in me an invincible summer. Andy, what French philosopher uh, said that?
1: No, oh, you hit me with a question that I can't remember. I can't remember what I have for breakfast today. So <laughs> you know, I've reached that age, Andrew. So, so
0: It's literally in the notes that you put out to the club. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was something you remembered all the time. But anyways, that really, this this coronavirus period gave us an opportunity. And this Maestro series, let me introduce kind of all of our roles within the club. Um, our club in Kansas City has, I don't know, 1,200 kids or so involved in our program. And, and our club has kids at all different levels uh, going from age 2 all the way up to 18. And so uh, Maestro is really something that we created that was really for everybody, or at least all the kids ages 5, 6, and up. Um, Philippe and Anne. Andy were really the creators of the Maestro series. Um, uh, Andy uh, was the brain behind what Maestro is and how we were going to implement it with our kids and how we were going to keep kids engaged throughout the entire time at home in isolation. Uh, Philippe is the videographer. He's the expert uh, behind the tech, uh, the technology. Um, and Philippe and Andy went to work over a period of just a few days and filmed 14, 15, 16 episodes of this maestro series for us to put out, um, but as well, Philippe, Andy, and I all coach, and so we've had to implement this maestro series with our kids, um, Andy with mostly older boys and girls, Philippe with kind of a mixture in the middle, um, and I've worked with kids as young as age 5 and as old as age 12 through the maestro series, so we've got a unique perspective here, and um, And in some ways, Philippe was the learner. Uh, And uh, for those of you guys that have seen some of these Maestro videos, you'll see Andy actively teaching Philippe how to do some of these skills um, uh, in a slow, perfect way. Um, But with no further ado, Philippe, could you share with us like quickly um, uh, what
2: Maestro is? I think the Maestro series is valuable to to keep kids motivated uh, through that time and even after this period to achieve greatness in the key skills of the game. And it's very challenging because some of the skills we kind of twist a little bit to make it harder. And I think it's really valuable that they have to work and get rewarded after they achieve that. And most importantly, they have to do everything slow and perfect because if they try to put speed before the technique is perfect, they're gonna develop flaws. And with that slow training, they're able to fix everything and we're as coaches, we are able to see everything and fix every tiny detail that matters uh, in the game situation later on.
0: So, so Maestro, right? M stands for a specific skill. Yes. And a kid has to ch- achieve perfection with that skill in a slow way before they move on to A. Correct. Move on to so,
2: e. so, yeah. So, the M, it's for the drag Maradona, which is a skill that Andy kind of saw his daughter doing for the first time. And he kind of brought that to the club it's a variation of the maradona turn a harder way so the kid gets an m if they perfect the maradona turn they get the a after they perfect the fake shot they get the e after they perfect the fake shot l turn and so on all the way up to maestro so our kids have been working really hard and it's very rewarding i get messages from parents all the time the kids don't think it's as fun but we see the 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 benefit we see uh, how competitive they're getting in trying to reach those letters and trying to, you know, get that perfection. And we appreciate that you guys are making it hard. I got a, a text like that uh, throughout the spirit that they're appreciating that we're making it hard for the kids. They're having to fight for it while some other uh, clubs and coaches around are just telling kids to juggle for an hour every day, which you don't have to pay anybody to tell your kid to juggle it's sure not. sure
0: sure sure and for me and i've got some kids that are like like literally so excited and enthusiastic and i get multiple messages did i pass that what 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 was wrong with that matthews am i am i to the next stage and they're the the this this moving from one letter to the next has been really encouraging and motivating for them andy when you, when you first introduced a maestro to us a few years ago, but definitely through this process, I mean, it definitely has a martial arts feel to it, does it not?
1: Yeah, that was kind of the, the background, you know, I, I was looking, because, you know, I've been coaching moves since I was 16, when I first started, you know, I coached 10 years voluntarily before I left England to come to America, and, you know, I remember coaching, you know, in the first year I was coaching, uh, Johann Cruyff had just popularized the Cruyff turn. And I taught that to my players. I watched it again and again and again on, you know, old tapes. And I taught that to my players. Uh, And for the last 46 years, because I'm 62 now, I've been teaching, you know, the world's best moves, the ones that I think are going to help the player the most in their soccer career. I've been teaching those moves to the players. Um, But, you know, I realized that over the years, I got it all wrong because, Uh, I, I taught kids so many different variations on the moves that the teaching was a mile wide and an inch deep. So invariably, the kids got incredibly confused. I had them doing it both ways, coming out on both feet, which immediately doubles the number of moves you need to learn. And there comes a point where soccer being as diverse as it is, there's so many moves, so many ways to do the moves, that in the end, you become this somewhat useless jack-of-all-trades instead of a master of the very specific moves that you need to learn to beat the players uh, in the most tight, hard, difficult circumstances at the very highest level. Yeah, Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, perfect sense. And when you look at the skills that we use in Maestro, we're going to talk about them in depth throughout this, this conversation, but as you look at those skills, they all have a specific purpose, right? There's a skill specifically to use when you have a defender on your shoulder and you need to bait them in so you can create space past their other shoulder, right? There's a skill specific to use when you're in the middle of the field facing one sideline and you want to change direction and switch the field of play to the other sideline. There's a skill for every one of those.
1: Right, right. And I've kind of got an apology to make to you, you know, and, um, you know, as, as you and I know, but the audience doesn't know, you know, I coached you from when you were six all the way through till going to college on a D one scholarship. And I screwed up.
0: And a moment ago, if we're being honest, you just called me useless because you created players that were useless. So, uh, well, and no, the, I mean, you taught me roughly 24 skills. There were 24 right. sk- or 12 skills going both directions, and half of every session that we worked on, we worked on the scissors going to the right and the scissors going to the left. And that's two different neurological pathways that your body and muscles have to remember. I have a so, question
1: so, for you. But can I jump in here, Philippe, because this is good, because... And yeah, as, as you know, and, and you know, Philippe, Andrew recently put up a, a, a tape of him in high school, you know, just destroying somebody with a Cruyff turn and missing a wide open goal after, <laughs> after getting right through. I mean, literally inside the penalty spot, you know, and just blasted it over the bar, if I remember rightly.
0: It was a meaningless game, too, state
1: championships in the year. <laughs> state championship. <laughs> and, and so, for that you know, taking it down the path of responsibility, I screwed up. Because instead of working on these 24 moves, I should have worked more on your finishing ability. 100. percent So that in that situation, you could tuck that baby away into the corner, you know, with total confidence, because you were right in the centre <laughs> of the penalty area. Both <laughs> corners beckoned, no. and I don't think the keeper was that far out to put you under pressure. No, he wasn't. Yeah. So, no. so uh, you know, and you know, if if you're looking at the path of responsibility, that's me. I've got to own up to the fact that I was too ignorant, too naive, and I didn't realise the importance of narrowing in on the major skills and only doing enough to make sure that you can be effective in the game which incidentally means you've got to come out on your strong foot the minute you come out on the weak foot you're diluting your effectiveness by half sure you know but more than half because the weak foot is way less capable than the strong foot so it doesn't it's 50-50 in statistical terms but in reality it might be 90-10 you know because there's no way to build your weak foot into just as strong as your Strong foot, unless you rob the strong foot of margin of greatness, which is something I'd like to revisit at some point in this conversation.
0: Yeah, yeah, we're going to come back to it. And I've actually, over this coronavirus period, have spent quite a bit of time reading the study that you referred to us, which led you down the path of of teaching or training only the strong foot. And it's a study from the 1998 France World Cup and the touches that the greatest players in the world took. And let me just go out and say they took it with their strong foot. Like 97% of the difficult touches were taken with their strong foot. Right. And these are the best players in the world uh, but, only but two decades, ago, decades I,
1: ago. I will warn the audience, it, you have to adjust that 97% for a degree of difficulty. 100%. You know, so that's what we figured out after adjusting it for a degree of difficulty because you, know, you can take a touch with one foot that's 10 times easier than a touch with another foot. So, you know, players tend to only take the really difficult touches, you know, the margin of greatness touches with their strong foot. Sure.
2: Go on, I have Steve. a question for you. So you mentioned earlier that you learned about 24 skills going both ways. Uh-huh. How many did you use?
0: Yeah, that's, and that's the point, is that even at twenty, twenty one, 21, you know, the height of my playing career, I used four or five. These four or five skills, and they and I didn't use them both ways. I used them specifically one direction or another. Um, some coming out on my left foot, some coming out on my right foot, right? Which in hindsight uh, maybe may have been a mistake. But it 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 I spent all of that time to not use most of it. Right, exactly. and and as we go down this Maestro conversation, I think the biggest mistake I've seen from a coronavirus response perspective in youth soccer is the amount of energy and time clubs have put into encouraging their kids to do stuff that isn't going to make a difference in their game, right? Or or going to ha- make a small difference in the game. Anytime you're touching a ball, there could be a positive uh, 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 piece to it, but a small positive piece. Comparatively
1: so so can I can I interject here yeah. because you know, I've, I've got a little story. I'd, I'd like to tell um, and uh, I, I was taking my B license in Tampa, Florida and um, it, We were being taught by a guy called George Visvari who uh, who great guy originally Hungarian the story of how he escaped from you know, the communist bloc and being shot at is is pretty hair raising. Um, but you know George was this guy, great sense of humour, great coach. And you know we're we're in the middle of this coaching session and we're in a live game. And one guy gets the ball and he does a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and a little bit of something else with the, you know nice skills. You know, and uh, you know, and so he, he's he's kind of staying in the same place and he's done four or five moves. And George Vizavi came unglued. He said, No, 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 stop, 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 stop. He said, Come in, come in, everybody, come in. He said. This, this is garbage, <laughs> we're all looking at each other here. and 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 uh he says, yeah, yeah, he says, this is garbage, this is like the pin in the wetsuit, you know. And <laughs> pee in the wetsuit, okay? He said, "Yeah, yeah, pee in the wetsuit." He didn't actually say peeing, and and uh, and and we're looking at each other, just totally befuddled as to what he means by peeing in the wetsuit. He said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." He said, "He said you go out on a nice, you know, cold winter's day, and you're surfing, right? You know, and the wetsuit you nice and warm, you know, and uh, and so you know, but sooner or later you start getting a bit cold because you know even the wetsuit can't keep the cold out." And he said, "You know, and and so." You need to go bathroom. So you go bathroom in the wetsuit. He said, yeah, he's doing the same thing here give you a nice warm feeling, but don't go anywhere.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, that's fast footwork, right? Like, so many of the fast footwork patterns I'm seeing on social media from, from youth soccer coaches across the... They literally go nowhere with the movements. And so, does it improve their touch? Yeah, sure, maybe. Does it improve their touch under pressure to beat somebody and explode a space to bury the ball in the back of the net? Absolutely not. Like, it just doesn't touch it. And so, coming back to maestro, that's what maestro does, right? Every maestro skill is specific... For a moment in the game, and it finishes with an explosion that takes you somewhere, right? And it's not peeing in the wetsuit. Um, Andy, there's something that when you first introduced Maestro to me, that I, I, it was unique because it was different than the way you trained me only you know 25 years ago, um, and well, it only 25 <laughs> years ago, <laughs> and it talked about slow. It talked about slow move training, and I have, I have vivid memories from the moment we cognitively understood the movement of the skill to then it was pushing the edge of the envelope, always pushing the edge of the envelope. If you're not making mistakes, you're not going fast enough. Go faster, go faster, go faster. And so even in my own coaching, when I first started teaching the skills, I had them do it slow enough until they cognitively understood the pattern of the move. Not to technical perfection or anywhere near, it, just understood the pattern of the move, and then I told them to go faster and faster and faster and faster and faster. And you started talking slow move training, um, and you specifically shared a story about some violin teacher you met in Nowheresville, Kansas. So can you share that story and what took you down the path of a slow move training concept?
1: Yeah, and before I go into that, you know which is a great story. Uh, there's an old saying that uh, you know you you've got to you know get started on the journey. you know journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step. Um, but what they don't point out is that um, you've got to be on the right road if you want to get there, you know. And so, you know, I can go the the wrong way and I can actually get, you know, behind the eight ball further away from where I want to go because I didn't really check my map and I didn't pick the right road when I started out. and And so um this story is, an, is another good story um you know but it was a bucket of cold water to me it was absolutely totally depressing for a while because I realized I'd been doing it wrong for decades you know it was only a few years ago and uh I was at a um um a very sad event for me to be honest because uh you know I'm from Britain and and I was at a friend's house and 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 they were celebrating July the 4th and and you know obviously coming from Britain that's not a day of celebration you know that's you know, that's when I draw the curtains and I stay inside most of the time. But um but you know, of course I'm only kidding, but but um uh, so I'm I'm at this July the fourth celebration and uh and I'm alone in the food area. Um, you know, and, and I eat a lot of food, so Depends I'm often. <laughs> so so I was in the food area a lot. Um but uh uh I I'm with this older lady than me, and that's that's old. <laughs> and uh and so uh, you know, I say, hey, how do you know the Perkins, you know, the host of the party? And and she said, well, I'm Ingrid's, the, you know, the daughter that I coached. I'm a, her violin teacher. I said, really, really? So, you know, there's a violin school you know, out here. And said, yeah, just down the road in Ottawa, there's a very famous, actually, within the Suzuki Violin Circles you know, school and you know we've actually put a lot of people into very high level musical positions and uh and so um so now the alarm bells are ringing in my head it's like actually the the celebration bells are ringing in my head because you know i've read a lot about suzuki violin approaches and and i said so surely tell me about what you do with kids you know day one they they come into your studio how do you approach teaching them violin and so You know, now I would never do this, but, you know, she went on a rant for 15 minutes. (laughs) So, but, uh, um, so Shirley proceeded to go on and on and on about, uh, you know, the early days of violin teaching, because that was, you know, what she thought I asked her. And, uh, and so, uh, and in that, that, you know, 15 minutes that she went on this rant, uh, she must have said slow, 15, 20 times, slow. You know, and I'm listening and, and, uh, and so, so, you know, I step in as soon as I could get, you know, a word in edgeways and I said, so you've said slow so many times to me, Shirley. What do you mean by that? And she said, oh, you don't know the half of it. You know, if you try and go in any way, shape, form or fashion fast at any point in their early learning process, you build in mistakes that you have to take double the time to erase and fix later on in the learning process. You know, and so, you know, I'm in this process of going to myself internally. Oh, crap. Mm -hmm. You know, because I'm seeing 35, 40 years of bad coaching, you know, in my history. I I did it the wrong way because as soon as they had a rudimentary, my my players had a rudimentary understanding of how to do a move. I was asking them to, to inject speed into the equation, at which point their skills started going haywire but I thought I was doing the right thing mm-hmm. starting to challenge them a little bit more by introducing speed. In fact, you know, research over the last couple of decades has shown that when you ask a kid to do a skill, you know, and, and I'm quoting here, Anders Ericsson, Jeffrey Colin, uh, Colvin, Matthew Syed, um, uh, Daniel Coyle. Daniel Coyle yeah. yeah. All the recognized experts who've written great books about this subject. Um, when you first start doing a skill, you know if you're doing it wrong you still groove it if you're doing it right you groove it and it's called myelination of the neuromuscular response and so the the brain myelinates you know and, and they use the analogy like the electrical response And the insulation around around live electrical wires, they they use that analogy to describe what happens with myelination, which is a fatty tissue that insulates the response. And it insulates the response, it's non-discriminatory. Whether it's good or it's bad, it insulates it. So you can have a terrible response and you're gonna groove it. You're gonna insulate that response and it's gonna become your habit. And so it's so important to groove the right things. And what Shirley, you know insisted upon was slow practice, slow practice, because, as we all know, it takes one violin screech in an orchestral performance to ruin the performance. You know and so you you can't risk that. if you've got a whole orchestra and everybody's playing different instruments, they've all got to be exactly on point. They've got to get it perfect. And in soccer, we are, I'm sorry, but, you know, 99.99% of coaches are loosey-goosey with technical learning and they don't even begin to try and get it perfect, which means that we're not going to be anywhere near as successful. We're kind of like an orchestra where everybody is a little off tune. Yeah. Imagine that. Yeah. Horrible. <laughs> and, and that's what we are in soccer. We're orchestras where everybody is technically a little bit off-tuned. You know, and hopefully that all makes sense.
0: No, it makes perfect sense. And Philippe, I'm sure you've had this experience through coaching your kids through Maestro, but like the way I explain it to them is that when your parents drive to soccer practice or soccer games, they probably use the highway, right? Right, And they can go faster on the highway. Well, these the, by doing it slow, we're grooving the highways from our brain to our muscle so we can do it right. Um, because if we do it fast and do it wrong, then when you're under pressure, you're going to do it wrong as well. Um, so Philippe... We've uh, moving through maestro right we, we've chosen seven skills right m a e s t r o i'm no spelling genius, but I believe that's seven words, and that's how you spell maestro we've chosen seven specific skills, and uh, I mean really Andy kind of led that charge, but it was a, it was a group discussion from from you know the directors within our club um, can Can you talk a little bit about some of the skills or all of the skills and why you believe or understand that we've chosen those
2: yeah. As I think I mentioned earlier, uh, we use the most the hardest uh, versions of every skill. Um, because if they conquer the hardest version, they can easily adapt to the easier version. So the first skill is the Drag Maradona, which is a variation of the Maradona turn. Um, and again, we do that Drag Maradona going at an angle that it's the hardest way to do that move. Um, so that kid can easily adjust and rotate a little more. Um, and they would be able to perform both. If they get used to rotating more, they won't be able to under-rotate, for example. Um, And a
0: drag maradona is a a move done out of a shield, where you drag the ball up to bait the defender. You have a
2: defender on your side, you're shooting the defender, you provide a bait, and then quickly, when they think you're going to... Uh, they can reach to the ball. You quickly perform the actual Maradona, and you beat that defender. So Over, over their other shoulder. Yeah. So
0: that's the drag Maradona. And we move from that into the A, which is a weak foot.
2: Weak foot fake shot, okay. which if which is we put that one in as a separate skill because we will use that in three other skills uh, later on, which is the Puskas, the uh, turn, and the Spin cry Yep. So the fake shot, again, it, we do it with the weak foot because on the L-turn, we want to do the L-turn with the weak foot so we can get the ball on our strong foot. And again, on the L-turn, we train pivoting our standing foot in order to bring the ball 180 degrees because that's way harder than actually doing a 90-degree L-turn. Um, so if they are able to spin, uh, spin and pivot that standing foot and bring the ball straight back, they are easily able to keep that foot on the ground and just do a quick uh, 90-degree L-turn.
0: Drag Maradona, fake shot, fake shot L-turn. L-turn's a great skill to use to change direction. It's a skill you often use to change direction. Um, And and we teach it the most difficult way with a super wide or obtuse angle turn because that's the most difficult way to do
2: it. Yeah. So we move from the L-turn to... The The Matthews. So the Matthews is a perfect skill to use when you're kind of slow or standing still in front of a defender. Uh, you, and that was a really interesting skill when uh, I worked with Andy doing that video because I always thought that you would lean, tap and hop at the same time to make it fast which is the mistake because when you combine these three you're actually transforming three potential fakes in one fake. Mm-hmm. So the defender only reacts one time. If you lean first, tap second, hop after then the defender is going like, boom, boom, boom. He's reacting three times. So it's it increases your chance to to being uh, the defender. And that's, that was the part, because I understood the concept of the Maestro Series and I knew kind of what it was. But as I was doing the videos and talking to Andy, I learned a lot about it because um, I never thought about the skills. Like I'm Brazilian, I've watched soccer, uh, the best players, uh, which they're all from Brazil. Um, so I watched them, uh, I I watched them and saw them doing amazing things, but I never like really thought about the skills. I was never taught skills. I would watch and try to reproduce, which is kind of what we're doing with our kids with the master series, but we're providing the feedback as coaches and we're also, explaining fully in every tiny detail and asking them to do slow to perfect it. Perfect let
0: me, it. Let me jump in on the Matthews, though, because you talk about there's four distinct fakes within the Matthews, right? Um, and it's important that they never happen at the same time, right? Because the whole point of a fake and to be deceptive, right, to the defender is to make them not second guess whether your fake is real or not. And so if you add two or three done in a very deliberate, not too fast way, that whole time on a subconscious for a defender, they're going, Oh, he's not really going that way. Surely he's not going that way. Wait, I think he's going that way. He's going that way. And then you go the other way. Right. And that's what the, the point behind the Matthews and the most deceptive dribbler, that or the most deceptive dribbler player that I ever remember playing with was a teammate of mine for playing with Andy, and and that was Brian Williams. Brian Williams was the fastest player on our team, right? But what made him so deceptive is how often on the dribble he would slow me down during one v ones, and then I and and then I would have no idea when he's going to speed back up, and I couldn't keep up. And it was that change of pace that was deceptive that made it difficult for me to keep up with him
2: yeah um so we go matthews to spin Cruyff. so the spin cryf again andy explained the craft turn um um earlier in the podcast uh, the the spin Cruyff is a variation that you actually go 90 degrees instead of straight back and it's a for me it was the hardest skill because i tried to do it and <laughs> i struggled a lot because <laughs> i've never done it i've never seen it and Andy showed me a clip of Luka Modric from Real Madrid doing uh, that skill and uh, up until now it was the only spin cry that we've ever seen uh, performed at the highest level and it's beautiful because they come two defenders come to make like a Luka Modric sandwich, and he literally does that spin craft and splits both uh, of them uh, and. Gets out of in space. Actually, uh, I was coaching my kids yesterday in a Zoom session, and I was gonna work on a spin craft, and they were like, can you show that clip from Luca And I, I, I pulled up YouTube, shared the screen, and showed them the video, and they were like, wow, that's sick. Yeah. And they're like, their attention span just increased by 100 much uh, after and,
1: that. And one of the interesting things is that all these years, since my eldest daughter started doing the Drag Maradona, you know, because she invented it, as far as I'm concerned. Worldwide, my eldest daughter, Brittany, invented this move with, you know, an extra, you know, bait touch off of the shield. And all the years of coaching the regular Maradona to you and your teammates, as as well as all the other teams I'd coached going back decades, you know, and that was the first time I'd ever seen it. And and I still have not seen a drag Maradona used Anywhere in the world and I watch highlights. I mean, that's my drug. That's my obsession. I watch soccer highlights, you know, instead of taking cocaine. You know, it's it's that's what I do is I watch soccer highlights. I'm a junkie for soccer <laughs> highlights. And I have still yet seen yet to see a drag Maradona anywhere in the world of soccer. You know, so we have um, and like some of the other moves with a fake pass and a fake shot on the front end. We have moves that you rarely, if ever, see at the highest level. Modric was the first guy I ever saw using the Spin Cruyff, you know, And so these things we were teaching before any of the you know, super pros use them at the highest level you know, are in, in, in anger in a game.
0: Mm-hmm. You know? And, and what, what, I mean, this is going to be an ongoing topic for us just throughout these, these, these podcast episodes that we create, but uh, Johann Cruyff developed the Cruyff presumably playing in the streets of Amsterdam with his buddies and just realized, man if I do a fake one direction wrap my foot around the ball and go the other way and explode I'm gonna kill players and he did it and 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 most of the skills Luka Modric probably just I mean it just it's it's organic and creative and it just came out of him and and one of the challenges we in, in, in I think soccer culture in general but especially American youth soccer culture is we have to manufacture opportunities for kids to learn these types of skills and drill into perfection for these type of skills because organic spontaneity doesn't match our soccer culture. They're not just going to go into the streets and play 10,000 hours of street soccer where nobody cares if they make a mistake or not and develop this, this ability. And so we have to do that. And Maestro is, is is an example of something where we've taken this manufactured of deceptive dribbling skill and really drilled down into it. The, these videos that we've created these episodes, it's every skill over two different episodes. So the drag Maradona is taught over two different episodes and these episode epito- Episodes are six minutes deep, deep, deep dives into every little bitty piece of the drag Maradona and every fake that exists and common mistakes that kids make within that. And, and, and that's what makes this so valuable and so helpful. And, and, and by creating these videos and putting them out to our parents, our parents are now becoming experts in teaching these skills and helping the kids to learn these skills alongside me from behind a computer screen. Um, or Philippe or Andy from behind the Which
2: I think, especially in this moment that we're living now um, with the coronavirus, uh, the parents are playing a essential role in the kids' development soccer-wise. Uh, we have a limited access to the kids at this point, And I think um, the parents watching the k- videos and getting involved and teaching the kids how to do it, learning themselves, at least not doing the skills, but learning the concept and the, the steps to help the kids, especially at the younger ages. I think that's vital and that's been key um, for our success. And just the fact that I some, m- a bunch of my players send videos every day. I'm seeing that my kids are training soccer every day, which is awesome because that's unheard of in the United States. As you said, the soccer culture is different here than it is in Brazil. In England, the kids here, for example, don't watch enough soccer. So they won't be able to see a lot of stuff and replicate like I did growing up. So as you said, we need to manufacture that. We need to drill that into their brains because otherwise they're not going to get that uh, elsewhere. It's not going to come organic for them. So I think we're
1: doing an amazing job on that. Can I, can I jump in here? Because, you know, I wanted to like uh, revisit a little bit that organic spontaneity comment that you made. And, uh, you know, I've done a lot of study uh, of all the different cultures around the world, uh, you know, and and personally visited, you know, Iceland, for example, and and drilled into why it is that their culture is so brilliant, you know, for developing competitiveness on the international scene. Um, But, uh, um, you know, Philippe and I have spoken endlessly about you know what happens in Brazil and I think we're in agreement that Brazil is losing its organic spontaneity you know because what's happening to the game worldwide is um instead of kids Uh, Growing up in the streets and playing street soccer now, you know, kids have electronics, social media, you know, there's lots of time wasters. And so the only training that a lot of these kids are getting are with coaches, with youth programs. Some of them are professional programs, some of them are neighborhood programs. But when coaches get involved, the spontaneity disappears. You know, they don't experiment with stuff. And most coaches don't understand how to teach a move so they're not teaching these kids moves and that emulation factor that led to that organic spontaneity is disappearing worldwide even in brazil right exactly. right exactly you know For sure. so so what's happening is we've got to replace that organic spontaneity in the training of these players across the world if we're going to have um, players like Puskas or Stanley Matthews or Johan Cruyff or Diego Maradona that created four of our six signature moves you know, and popularized them. You know, at least the moves were named after them. You know, and we've got to have training that provides what used to be given by organic spontaneity, mm-hmm. if that makes sense.
0: 100%. Yep. And I think in, in some respects, I think the United States is is – is 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 well positioned to do so because we don't have a back, a, a deep soccer culture of organic spontaneity, and we and, and and we don't have overconfidence that we've already figured out how to do it. And, and so, you don't have to change anything. And we don't have to change anything, right? Oh, it's, it's hold on a
1: second. I have total confidence. I figured out how to do it. <laughs> oh, did you see me smiling?
0: No, 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 no. As an American culture,
1: we don't. Right, but you know, and this is awfully you know big headed of me to say this, but. This total confidence that I think I can teach kids how to do it is not an overnight success story. It's 45 years of coaching the wrong way, making thousands of mistakes, focusing on winning instead of individual, you know, technical, you know, high level individual dribbling skill development and the confidence that goes with it. Focusing on my ego instead of the kids' leadership potential, you know, their willingness to take risks under pressure all of these things carry over into life you know I've been that culprit that criminal that I did it for myself for way too long but at least I was able to change you know and do it totally for the, for the kids you know but you know in this day and age you know and you know, once again this is going to sound really really big-headed but I don't know with all my thousands and thousands and thousands of hours study in world soccer. I don't know of anybody in the world that understands these moves better than I do, because I have literally made it my mission to learn the best moves, to identify the best moves, teach the best moves so that our players can, as individuals, achieve to the highest level. You know, we've got Tyler Freeman on the under 17 national team right now. You know, and he's been on the national teams all the way through. We've got Amelia Horton, center striker for the under-17 girls national team right now. You know, we've got Cisco Lopez with the LA Galaxy right now. You know, and we've got so many players that have played for national teams, you know, professional teams, collegiate teams, you know, and we've got the track record that backs this up. And virtually, invariably, the best of those players, most of those players are playing in a forward or a creative midfield role. So it's not like we're developing grunt defenders, nothing against being a defender. I was a defender all my career, which made me value players that could beat me because they'd skin me alive with these moves, you know, and they were the players that could embarrass me, you know. But at the end of the day, you know, if you look at the Ballon d'Or list of the top 100 players in world history, you know, they are all... Deceptive dribblers, goal scorers, even the ones that came out of defense to do it were the ones that could go all the way down the field and score great goals like Beckenbauer. Mm -hmm. You know, so they had to be deceptive dribblers and goal scorers in order to get on the Ballon d'Or list unless they were a goalkeeper, you know, and that's just the fact of history. So, you know, what we're doing here is we are teaching the players to be the greatest players and to have the greatest self-concept so that leadership is like falling off a log.
0: And to, to dig into that a little bit and with the maestro series that, that, that that we've created, right. Um, I, th- I think most of the people listening to this would agree, oh yes, we need more creative soccer players in America if we're gonna achieve the next level. The problem is, is they're doing it all wrong. Their their vision of, 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 of helping to create creative players is is to give kids, during this coronavirus experience, juggling targets, is to give kids during this coronavirus experience the bin challenge, see if they can chip the ball into their basketball goal from their driveway, right? And all of those things are fun and cool and whatever, but if the kids are gonna spend 30 minutes training and that's the th- on a daily basis and that's the 30 minutes they're going to spend that's not going to help us achieve the, uh, at this next level and that's what Maestro does is it focuses on the most important thing in the best possible way to focus on it to build myelin as Daniel Coy would put it to get them to get us through the 10,000 hours rule as Anders Ericsson would, would, would put it to truly develop creative attack
1: minded Maestros of the game Free, fair and you you've nailed it and and frankly, over the last you know thirty five years since i've been in America you know everybody's nailed you know the the problems you know and you know i I watch you know the media a lot you know I, I read article after article about the problems, and everybody's an expert at identifying the problems, but nobody develops the solutions mm-hmm. and that 's what is different about our organization is we've spent 45 years, you know, developing the solutions to the problems, you know, and so we're not just here criticizing, you know, the U S national team because they don't have enough creativity. We're saying, here's how you fix it. And, you know, honestly, you know, doing what I've seen now hundreds of clubs over the last seven weeks, because, you know, I'm on all sorts of you know, lists all over, you know, the the social media. everybody seems to have this wrong because they're doing juggling and fast footwork. And if you do fast footwork, you don't do the things that are essential to learn these skills permanently. You know, you, you don't number one, conquer the most devastating techniques to beat a player, you know, and then you don't chunk the little pieces of the moves together. When you're doing fast footwork, you do little pieces in isolation and they're never put together in the, in, in the framework of the whole move. So you do this little funky thing or this little funky touch or this little funky touch and you're doing faster and faster and faster, but you're like George Visvari said, you're peeing in the wetsuit. You're not going anywhere, you're not setting somebody up to to step this way while you destroy them on the other side and so it's really a huge mistake that we're making because we, we aren't chunking the skills, and then we aren't sequencing, which is the next phase of learning, where you put everything together. You know, the technique's slow, you start chunking the pieces of the technique together, and then you sequence the pieces of the technique that you're going to use for a whole drag Maradona turn. And then, and only then, when you can put those three phases together, do you introduce speed, speed. You know, And that's what we do with the Maestro Series, is we get them first to learn it slowly, and we go through the individual key points of technique until they're perfect, and then we ask them to start chunking things together, so that they can actually put the whole move together, so we're pulling out these pieces, coaching them on that, then we chunk these pieces of the move, so that now they've got that together, you know, and after they've got that perfect slowly then we sequence the moves so we have them go from one move into another move straight away so that they're now thinking of doing different neuromuscular skills under pressure of having to do them perfectly you know and gradually we put more moves into the sequence two together three together or six together
0: but but that that Added pressure, which initially is time and eventually, right, sequencing and adding more moves together, we stop and go back. The second technique falls even one shade away from perfection.
1: Our players have to send us videos. And so, you know, I can go through those videos. They're sent to us on GroupMe. That's what we're using. And, you know and I can go through and I can slow-mo those videos and I can see every single tiny nuance of their technique from the very start of the move when we're asking them to stare and point at an imaginary target and shout their name I can see whether the fingers straight the eyes are locked in I can I can hear the shout and decide whether that's intense enough that's going to sell it that we're going in that direction even before they start the move so if they get any little piece wrong we correct them and we ask them, hey, perfect slowly before we'll give you your M in Maestro, your A in Maestro. You have to get this move perfect. And then as they sequence these moves, that's still the first thing we go back to. So, you know, they might be doing two moves in a sequence. They might be doing all six moves in a sequence. And I will go through slowly every single aspect of those those six moves looking for technical faults and I will fail them in their attempt if they make a mistake at any point in that six-move sequence. Now, and I've got players now doing multiple six-move sequences absolutely perfectly without any technical areas errors fast. So they're doing all six moves. They're doing those six moves time after time after time. I'm timing them. You know, And they're going faster and faster and faster without the slightest mistake in that six-move sequence. That, I believe, is a world first. I would challenge anybody to videotape themselves today and send me tapes of themselves doing six moves multiple times perfectly at speed. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. And it's all happened in the last seven weeks.
0: I mean, the coronavirus. It's been an invincible summer for us. Like to, to to speak on that for me, as I'm coaching technique with kids, I think doing it digitally and virtually is more effective than doing it personally in a team practice setting. And by that I mean, Bingo. in a team practice setting, I can't I I, I can't engage one kid. And have the other kids off on their own, especially in the younger age groups that I coach, and know that those other kids are engaged, right? I can't, and as I say something, those words just kind of, they might hit a little bit, but they kind of wash over. When I write three sentences based on a drag Maradona or one piece of the drag Maradona and what they did right and what they did wrong, those three sentences marinate on a kid and the kid's parents, for a day, for two days, for three days, and those 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 three sentences, I've chosen every word intentionally to ensure that they're the best words to help convey to them that their foot isn't penguined enough as they start to drag the foot the ball up to the kids. And I think that's the difference. And I was on Twitter last night digging through just old stuff, and somebody was very proud of a technical session they'd put on the kids. Um, I assume it was a technical session they'd put on uh, coronavirus. The kids were, um, I think, were in Japanese. Uh, jerseys or something. Anyways, these kids were dribbling through cones, right? And they were doing Maradona turns and every Maradona turn was poor. Every single Maradona turn was poor, but they were really fast. The kids were really comfortable doing these really poor Maradonas, right? They over-rotated everyone, over-rotate meaning they started out facing 12 o'clock and they finished facing 12 o'clock. Well, that's just a foul. That's just doing a full spin and running over a defender. And, and, and But these kids and this person on Twitter was so proud of the effort and the time that they put in. If they invested the same energy and effort into that session, the coach and the kids, to doing the skills perfect first, Right with a 270 degree or a, a 100 and, or a 210 degree turn. Right, these kids would have been fantastic and so much better served than just banging out Maradonas over and over. Absolutely, again. absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, as we as we talk about, we didn't finish out. So yeah. Puskas was Puskas next.
2: Yes, yeah, Puskas is uh, the second last. Um, it uh, just starts with the fake shot. You pull back, hop back, you open up your body, and that's the, ver- the hardest variation. You open up your body to bring the ball close to a 180-degree uh, turn. Um, then the next one is the scissor, which is double scissor, actually, and that's absolutely my favorite move, the Brazilian move. We can call that because all the best Brazilians are really good at the double scissors. and Actually, it's another one that the way when Andy started explaining, I was like, oh my God, that makes a lot of sense. Because he said, uh, you want to go to your strong foot, so your first scissor is going to be with your strong foot. So you do one, two, push to your strong foot. And he said, your first scissor needs to be really poor, really bad. I'm like, I know he's crazy, but like <laughs> that's that's too much. And then when he explained that you want the defender to see that you're just trying to fake him, and he's going to be like, Ah, he's just faking me. He's going to go that way, the other way. And then when you do the second scissor, then it's perfect. Then you drop your shoulder. Then you explode. Because if you do that fake and you actually fake the defender in the first season, after you do the second, he's going to be on your right. If you're right-footed, he's going to be on your way, the way you want to go. So I was like, that's brilliant. I would never have thought about that. I do my scissors really fast and explode try to drop the shoulder, it works most of the time, but I guarantee that I would be way more successful if I did it correctly, which, after he explained, I tried to do it, um, and I was able to, to do a, a correct double season, I'm like, if I get back to playing again in my Sunday League <laughs> games, I'm probably going to be more affected than I was before, so...
0: Well, so to bring something current and topical, The Last Dance, Sunday Night's, Michael Jordan, like I've really dug watching those those documentaries and kind of how we're talking here, like when we first teach skills to kids when they're young, the kids don't conceptualize why they use the skill. It's just like, okay, I'm doing these movements and, and for me, especially before, I'm doing these movements and then... Okay, I'm done. I did it. Right. I did a scissors coach. Right. But that scissors wouldn't actually be the defender. When you think of the double scissors, the way you explain it just there and you're setting your defender up with the first fake to be makes me think of Michael Jordan. Right. When Michael Jordan was had a defender on him, he knew that defender personally and he thought deeply, how do I set him up to fake him out to create the space to find the shot? And 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 we, I think Maestro has taken us another level up as a club in teaching deceptive dribbling because we are digging in, even with five-year-olds, on, on the fakes. So they're not just doing rotely the skills, but they're actually thinking through the thought process that a defender might go through with every fake specific to that skill. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and this is the thing is, I, I had an advantage when I was learning how to teach the moves because... Being a defender you know, and, and representing uh, British colleges four countries the, you know in defense um, and, and playing you know semi pro soccer when I was younger, uh, I had faced you know many many really good players including one england right winger you know and and I was on the other side of the psychology, so I was looking at it from a defender's perspective and what Philippe was just describing you know in in me saying to Philippe, do a crappy first scissors is, is what I was saying, you know, because if you do a crappy first scissors, subconsciously the defender's saying, hey, oh, you're not getting me with that one. I'm waiting for the big one, yeah. you know, and here it comes, here it comes. Come on then, hit me with your real shot, you know, because you're going the other way. You're not going, you know, that way, you know, and, and so they don't buy it if you do a crappy one, but they're now in two minds you know so when you do your really big sideways step and the shoulder throw in the scissors the really good one they're like aha i knew it was coming i knew it was coming okay oh crap <laughs> cuz you know the forward's gone yeah, 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 you know yeah. it, and it, all you do is you get the guy in two minds mm-hmm. you know and and this is it, it, as simple as it may sound now to you know to people listening to this explanation took me decades to figure this out yeah that's how thick I am you know that's how dumb I am you know and, and so these are things that you know you, you wake up in the middle of the night and I used to keep a little piece of paper and a pad by my bed because I'd wake up in the middle of the night I'm so obsessed with this stuff you know with that aha moment and I had to write it down to make sure that I didn't forget it you know the rest of the night's sleep and you know in the morning it was there by the side of my bed because I wrote it down when I thought of it you know and there's thousands of these aha moments that have happened over the years you know and you know and there's another thing involved with this is there's another couple of moves that are absolutely fantastic that I would love to teach to my players but they are technically so difficult that you can't do them with your weak foot to come out on your strong foot you know and you know the one that's called the the flip flap or the uh, elastico or the Ronaldinho that's beautiful it's an incredible move but have you ever tried doing it with a weak foot? You know, I mean, it's Pop just... Pop up your knee. <laughs> it's just, it's just, exactly. The lower leg flies off over there. and You know, I mean, you know, it, it's such a difficult move technically that I could probably spend years on that move and only one of my players would ever be able to do it with their, their weak foot to bring them out on the strong foot. And this whole strong foot thing is really, really important because why would you ever take the wrong road to make a delivery? You know, you've just got to double your efforts to get back to the right road if that's the case. And you watch Ronaldinho, because I've done this and it's painful. He comes out on his left foot time and time again when he does a Ronaldinho, and so many times it's a blind alley. So his actual percentage of success after doing that that, you know, creative elastico, you know, is really, really low in terms of he comes out on his weak foot. Then of course the traditionalists are gonna say, Well, he should have worked. On his weak foot to make it as strong as his strong foot you know and that traditionalist might in their real life be an accountant because they certainly haven't thought enough about soccer if that's what they say you know and, and so are they going to be as good as being an accountant and a soccer coach if they spend half the time doing something that's unrelated to the other discipline and working on the move to go left is different completely different to working on a move to go right it's two different skills you're doubling yeah. the time and effort you have to put in to train the weak limb limb so if i want my players to do a move i want them to come out on their maestro fur i want them to come out on their atom bomb i don't want them to come out on their pea shooter You know, and that's what Ronald did. Ronaldinho did time and time again with his elastico because he only ever could do it with his right foot. He couldn't do it with his left foot because it's too technically difficult to perform with the weak foot.
0: And and ultimately what it comes down to, it's it's economy, it's efficiency, right? And this will be, I think, a theme that's pervasive throughout all of our episodes is the time that you've spent, Andy, uh, uh, training uh, and thinking through this over 45 years is you've been able to think through and boil it down to the smallest amount of things we have to teach kids to make them effective and, and maximally effective. And so much of the stuff I've seen during this coronavirus period has been a ton of movements that are not taught and the kids don't drill them enough nearly to use them effectively.
1: And, and can I interrupt because I'm going to use a, um, a a term from Anson Dorrance who's an old friend of mine and, and uh, I worked with him on the under-19 national program way back in the 1980s, 1987. And uh, Anson Dorrance loves to talk to the, the point of boiling things down to their critical essence, you know, and that's where we're not doing a good job in youth soccer because our coaching philosophy is so wide, so big, it's so big, it's so huge that nobody, you know, is capable of learning everything that these coaches throw at them. The science is so deep these days, you know, and you know, the match analysis, the tactics. The options from that perspective—it's just a massive body of knowledge, and you know the kids aren't getting the technical brilliance, the critical essence. You know, and and to. Um, to tell a little story about Anson that probably he doesn't even remember at this point in time, but I remember like it, it was part of the the ice bucket challenge. You know, it, in, in 1987, I was the regional director of coaching for the Midwest, and I took the under-19 girls team from the Midwest to the national training camp, and we went up against California. The most famous, eventually, uh, player from the California team was Brandy Chastain. You know, the the, the the young lady that took off her shirt and she was in the sports bra on her knees celebrating the World Cup winning goal in 1999. And, and so we had this incredible field of players from all over the country. And uh, after this week, we had to pick a national team. And... The four regional coaches, myself and three other regional coaches, Hank Lung, who was the head coach at George Mason University in those days and was the under-19 national team coach, Anson, who was the women's full national team coach, were all there picking the team. And Anson kind of removed himself from the discussion and just kind of watched from a little bit of a distance, you know, with with a wry smile on his face. And anybody that knows Anson knows his wry smile, you know, because he's a thinker. And and so, you know, we're, we're beaten to death this this squad of players, you know, and but before we beat to death this squad of players to find out the players to pad out the team, we picked about 10 players like this just instantly. And. You know, and then we bogged down because we couldn't pick between this girl that was more of a defensive player, this girl that was more of a, just a solid passer, this girl who was incredibly fit from box to box, you know, another girl that was, you know, really a warrior and, you know, and you know, kind of brutal on the defensive side of the ball, you know, and we had all of these, you know, this next 30 or 40 players under consideration, and we needed to pick another 14 players at the time, you know, to round out the roster, and Anson kind of interjected himself in this, and and he said, do you mind me showing you what you've just done? You know, and we're like, what do you mean showing us what we've just done? You know, We're picking a team here. He said, yeah, but you probably haven't recognized who you've just picked. He said, look at the players you just picked and what are their characteristics? Why did you pick them? And I looked at the, the, the list and, and it was, this is 1987 and I started coaching in 1974. So I, I looked at the list and I went to myself, I've wasted 13 years of coaching. <laughs> I'm serious. It, it was just uh, I could not believe it because I hadn't really focused on de- teaching my players to be great deceptive dribblers and goal scorers. And yeah, I and the other coaches had picked ten deceptive dribblers and goal scorers, or one or the other, deceptive dribbler or goal scorers. Mm-hmm. And 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 I looked at the list and I went, "Andy, you're an idiot. You are an absolute raging fool." To not have seen this, you know, and, and this is the world greatest player syndrome. You know, and Anson then made it real clear. He said, now, he said, we've got all our dribblers, goal scorers. We've got, you know, and a lot of these guys are great at passing because they're goal scorers. And that's way more difficult than passing will ever be. You've got to be more accurate, have more power, etc. So these guys are all good passers as well. So what do we need now? You know, and, and just like that, we picked Linda Hamilton because she was an incredible defender. She was a, a, a really, really hard worker. She was fierce. She was frightening. You know? And we knew if Linda was playing today, you know, Linda would be my choice to mark Marta, the Brazilian superstar, because Linda scared the crap out of me and I was watching. and so we we were able to pick the specialists like brandy barnes a center back she was unbelievable in the air a warrior her and brandy chastain went head to head in the game between the south and the west it was incredible to watch you know and i came from britain where women's soccer wasn't as advanced as the u.s not even close and and it was awesome to see these two absolute warriors going up against each other you know and anson Critical essence boiled it right down to what we should be looking for in each player, but showed us how we had picked all the deceptive dribblers and goal scorers. Well, if we're going to pick those players, why aren't we developing them?
0: Yeah, 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 100%. And and I, I love that story. I mean, I've heard that story a hundred times, right? But like coaching inside the box, this podcast, this content that we're talking, the genesis is right there in that
1: conversation. Are you telling me I'm boring that you've heard me a hundred times? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know. I, I think I led with, I love the story, right? And, and as, as, you know, as we finish, as we wrap up episode one, right? We had the pre-sode, then episode one. As we look forward to episode two, three, four, five, six, seven, whatever we go to, that, that story is the genesis for all the conversations we have. And we talked early on, and you got a little bit heated and emotional for a moment there. Like, We've, we've pointed out the problem. That's not, like, that's not a challenge for us as, as soccer coaches in America or soccer coaches in the world. We all know what the problem is, right? But we've got solutions that have been maximally effective for us, and they're unique and they're different, but they're simple. The logic is there, and so that's what we're going to explore as we go. I, and just a little
1: teaser, though, uh, we haven't even scratched the surface. Scratch the surface, 100%. you know, because we're sitting in a facility of which there's nothing like it in the whole of the world, yep. and we've got three of these now in Kansas City, and we've got others around the country within our franchise system that are being built, yep. you know, or just opened, yep. you know. So we've got so much more, you know, and so much logic and so much research behind what we've done you know, to show the way forward, you know, a plan for the future.
0: Yep. So,
2: with And
1: just I just wanted to add that um, that
2: whole concept and that whole philosophy for me coming from Brazil, that creativity, it's everything in soccer. Uh, it's what attracted me here and what makes me really believe in this philosophy because uh, again, I grew up watching and worshipping the creative players, the skillful players, the players that made the defenders look like fools and I ne- I was never really coached, and when I was, that's not what I was asked for. Well, it was kind of what I was asked for in a sense of the game, because I was a winger, I was a deceptive dribbler, and I had to score goals, but I wasn't trained by that. So I actually had an argument with a coach once, because all he did in practice was possession, and... He expected me to the, in the games to get the ball, go one v one, be the player and score the goal. I'm like, I'm not training that. I'm doing that once a week in a game. How am I going to be proficient in doing that if in practice all I do is to touch possession? Like I'm, you're asking me to do something that I'm not training during the week. So it's kind of uh, a dichotomy in that sense.
1: Can I, can I point something out, Philippe? Yeah, you were so lucky. Why? Uh, imagine being brought up in England. <laughs> I mean, nobody taught skills. You know, it was stick it in the mixer. It was a 60 yard ball. It's ugly. You know, take out the midfield, you know, and fight for it down in the other third. You know, and I mean, at least you had a skillful culture, you know, and you're complaining. I mean, you know.
2: That's why you have one World Cup and I have five. (laughs) Ouch. (laughs)
0: <laughs> all right with that said we'll uh we'll uh, wrap up episode one but uh look forward for more to come if if uh, maestro has interested in you reach out to us you can find us easily on twitter facebook or our email address i'm andrew at the andy is andy at casey legends and philippe is philippe at casey Legends.com. um and email us and we'll we'll get you some some information and see if we can help you out thanks again andy thanks philippe that was fun thanks was guys fun. Thanks. thank you